and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. This short series with a couple of messages on the idea and the subject of worship. Um, we started this just last week, and I think last week was a little more informational, uh, and, and, and still it was beautiful to me how the presence of God just showed up so beautifully in last week's lesson, but this week I think it's definitely more experiential for me. The, that's the goal. I think at the end of this message, I'm just going to set you up from the beginning. I'm going to let you know up front. Just I'm hoping at the end of this message that we're all going to have a time together where we just kind of get into God's presence and enjoy His presence just a little bit more. I know there's been worship already, but again, I, I think that you'll see what I'm talking about throughout this message and, and maybe come up around the front with us. Um, if you're only comfortable staying in your chair in your row, I get that as well. But just all of us kind of having this time with, with hearts wide open, with arms wide open, our minds focused on Jesus, and, and just being open to whatever new experience God wants to give to us this morning. I, I just think that there's something really to be gained out of this service today and out of this message. So to all of those, now just I, I wanted to open this just kind of being a little bit transparent and, and talking about who we are. and uh, we're, we're a spirit-filled church. We have Pentecostal roots and Pentecostal background. And, and um, you know, we, I, I came up in that. That's all I have ever known. And, and I, I realized, actually, it was kind of later on, um, maybe in my late teens, that I, I didn't realize, rather, until maybe my late teens, that that wasn't everybody's church context growing up. And I just thought that everybody's church was probably like my church, and then I found out from a lot of my friends that, no, like, our church isn't like that. In fact, uh, when one of my friends visited my church, uh, he was pretty scared out of his mind um, one of the first times that he had come because he had come from a Catholic background where, of course, everything's very quiet, very reserved, um, very stoic, and that kind of thing. And so I get if you're newer to City Grace, you're newer to, you know, coming back to church, maybe. Maybe you used to be a Christian or used to follow Jesus, or maybe it was kind of like your parents' thing, but maybe never really your thing. Maybe your experience in the past that churches seemed kind of like dry, maybe a little bit boring or lifeless or long. Yeah, I thought I'd get more than just one chuckle on that one. Uh, but, you know, it, it just like I, I've talked with people even recently who are newer to the church family that said, you know, church just didn't make any sense. I just didn't know why I was there, why I needed to keep going or, or what it was all about. And you kind of, you leave church with a shoulder shrug. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like that. Yeah, I went to church this morning. How was it? You know, it's like, it was church. Yeah, and it was, you guys are scared. You don't know where I'm going with this thing, right? I went to church. That earns me brownie points in heaven. Can I hear an amen from somebody? You know, yeah. I got in good with the, the big guy upstairs, and see, but how was it? Did you enjoy it? And you say, it was church. I went to church, and that's a lot of, of people's experience in the church world or, you know, kind of outside of, of maybe what my experience was growing up because when we went to church as kids, we never left shrugging our shoulders. In fact, while we were in church, we were usually like ducking something and running from somebody and like, you know, this just church experience was a lot different. And so this whole idea of church being lively and alive and exciting and, and filled with the presence and the Spirit of God like, this is the heart of who we are as a church family. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is what we come from. This is all I know. So if God asked me to pastor here for a little while, like, I'm sorry, I'm bringing what I know, right? I'm staying in my lane. I'm trying to, to help us experience the only way that I know to be in relationship with God and be in relationship with each other in what we call church. And so 
Spirit-filled worship, lively worship, um, this is kind of the goal of our worship services. This is the heart of who we are and of our identity as a church. This is how we as the City Grace family kind of carry on the legacy of worship that has been such a huge part of our identity. I mean, all the way back from when my dad's pastoring over 30 years, and I I just want to say my mom and dad are back in town from their travels. Bishop and mom, I love y'all. So glad you're here. So glad to see you. And uh, good to see mom and pops. Glad y'all are here. Uh, You guys can't call him pops just yet, but uh, I call him pops, and that's my mom. That's my mama. Um, But it's today, when I wanted to talk about worship and when I was thinking about what I was going to talk about, why today is so important to me is that if you are newer to City Grace, if you're newer to kind of following Jesus, or if you're just kind of reconnecting after a long time, this idea, the idea of worship and of deep worship and of demonstrative worship even, and and, and getting involved in worship and worship services, this can take you from having good things in church to better things in church. This can take your religious experience, your faith journey, your walk of faith, whatever you want to call it, your Christian life, your Christian experience. This can actually move you from ritual to relationship. This can actually move you from attending services to actually getting something special from the services that you attend. You can leave this place and these services and these gatherings differently than the time that you came in. You can leave with faith and encouragement and inspiration. And this doesn't have to be religion. This doesn't have to be just ritual. This doesn't just have to be something that you're doing, hoping to get brownie points, you know, and it's on a magic whiteboard somewhere in the sky. You're hoping that somebody's... Did you see that one? I was there. And that service was really long. And that's... Right? And it's just like, I get two brownie points for that one, please, because that was hard to sit through. It can move you from that experience into this engaging relationship with a risen and present Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and it just, it, it puts in you. And when you get involved in this, when you feel the Spirit of God moving and working in your heart, it can, it can move you to this unshakable belief that God really is present with me. That God really is attentive, and God really does hear, and God really does care, and God really does show up. This can take you to a place where you realize that God doesn't just live in a building, but that the closeness that you might experience in this building can be the same closeness that you experience at home. You can have these same moments of interaction and inspiration and encouragement at home or in your car or maybe in the hospital with a loved one or during a time of difficulty at, at you know, someone's house that you love or that you know. You, you are now the temple of God and God is alive within you. And there's a whole, I, I can't, I don't have time to get into that today, but Jesus came and shifted the whole idea of worship and we talked just kind of touching the tip of the iceberg last week about it, but even the idea of temples and buildings, like Jesus actually came to kind of like tear that idea down. And here I am talking about renovation for next week. Like, <laughs> but Jesus kind of tore down that idea of the temple, of a building being the place where God wants to live. And now your bodies are the temples of the living God. Like you are, somebody say, take care of your temple. No, I'm just kidding. We won't, we won't go there either today. I promise we're not going there. But God is real, and God is present for each and every one of us. And, and so I grew up in church atmospheres where things were lively, and, and, and I've never, you know, it's never been weird for me to somebody, you know, to like shout hallelujah right in the middle of service. Like, that's never been weird for me. I don't even flinch, you know, like guests are having a heart attack when somebody behind them shouts hallelujah. Brother Sean over there, one of the newer members, Woo! I hear you over there. 
Yeah, just like that, yeah. I have three guests over there grabbing their chest right now. Like, it's just, you know, and, and, and it was never weird for me to have people jump up and down when they came to church. It was never weird for me to have people waving their arms around or singing loudly, very off-key, but very confidently, you know, just like, I'm here to give my, you know, and the, then there's people here, that you see people in, in our services sometimes crying. It's like, why are you crying? You're at church. Well, I kind of understand why you're crying. You're at church. Yeah, church is boring, but no, you're crying, and this isn't like boring church. This is strange church, right? And then they're crying the happy cry sometimes. You see other people crying the sad cry sometimes. And there's Kleenex set out, right? And there's other times when people kneel and they raise their hands to nobody and you don't know what's going on. And then if you really, like if you're deep in our tradition, if you're deep in what I came from, mm, you get those preachers that like to lay their hands on somebody's head. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> That was a very strong amen. Like, I grew up in a, very, in a time of very aggressive hands, layers, honors, just like they were. You know, I, I think, actually, my dad's here. My dad wasn't actually a fan of that. I thank you, Dad, for that. But, I'm, I mean, I can remember preachers coming through. Man, they shake you up a good bit. You know, it's like you're scared to eat before service because by the time they're shaking you up, like, you don't know what's going to erupt, right? I mean, people would do what we call catch the spirit, like in self-defense. Like, you know, they just fall out, and it's like, oh, God's really on. It's like, no, they're trying to get a, a rest because their neck is tired, you know, like. And then shoulder massages, shoulder massages. If you ever came to church with a neck pain, just go to the front and pretend you're in a trial just like this. And somebody will come up, and they will start massaging that shoulder and praying for you, you know, and just... <laughs> That was never weird for me. But if you're new to this kind of church and a spirit-filled church and worship and lively worship and all this kind of stuff, it might be weird for you. I grew up doing this, but it might be uncomfortable for you. That doesn't make me better than you, holier than you, closer to Jesus than you. It just means that I'm trained. <laughs> I have been conditioned from a very young age to just, you know, not really care if you see me doing any number of these things and sometimes at the same time. Like, I'll jump up and down while somebody gives me a shoulder massage. I don't care. I'm just like that. I've just been here long enough. But if you're going to be a part of a spirit-filled church, at some point your training has to begin. So today we're going to do something that's very familiar to a lot of us. Everybody ready, especially the new people. But everybody get ready. Take your right hand and put it up like this. You ready? Wax on. Now with your left hand, wax on. Everybody bailed on the wax on part. Come on, you're never going to finish your training. But now look, just do that while you say hallelujah. Ready? Hallelujah. Woo! It's feeling more Pentecostal in this place already. At some point, you're going to have to get involved if you're going to be part of a spirit-filled church or else you're just always going to be scared. Right? Like, do it in self-defense. Hello. And uh, at some point, you're going to have to take that awkward step and raise a hand. At some point, if you've never really prayed before and you're maybe used to having somebody else pray for you, at some point, I want you to get comfortable enough in your relationship with God, confident enough in your relationship with God that you pray your first prayer, say your first prayer like it's your own words. And first prayers like never really make sense. They're always hard. They're always a little bit embarrassing. I want you at some point, at some point, you need to come to the front. When we all come to the front after the message is over, like you need to try that. 
You need to give that a shot. It's a gesture of surrender. It's a gesture of being in solidarity with the rest of the church and and having a message move on you and having God begin to work in your life. You need to come. You need to have that moment where you lift your hand and and maybe, you know, you you, you open your eyes and stare. We made the lights a little bit dimmer so it doesn't blind you, but just where you look up and and you begin to have this this relationship with God that maybe is a little bit out of your, your comfort zone. Be willing at some point to open yourself emotionally and follow the energy in a service into these unfamiliar waters. And I get, again, if you're newer to the church, I get why it might be uncomfortable for you, but I'm telling you, it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's awesome to get to that point where you're just so comfortable in the presence of God that all of these things begin to feel like second nature. And I'm telling you, it's when church changes. Churches change. It's different after that. Nothing's ever the same after that when you begin to learn to experience the presence of God. I um. I grew up going to church camps, of course, and I can remember times going up into the mountains, and uh, Barry Claiborne used to lead a lot of our, our camps up there, and I can remember being up there in the mountains under the stars, you know, and that's, that's like a perfect set. Man, I, you feel so close to God, right? Like the stars are all super close. Looks like you could reach up and knock them down with a stick, and there's the fire going on, right? And you're all making your commitments and throwing them into the fire as a sign. I never really understood that. Like, I need to take this home so I can remember what I told Jesus I was going to do. But, you know, like, and that's, maybe that's why it never lasted. I don't know. But, just, but you know, you, you're there, and just God feels so close in that moment. And, and you realize that God seemed closer there and in those times. But it wasn't really that God was closer because God never changes. But what happened in that moment is that I was just less distracted by everything going on, right? I was more focused on the awe and the wonder of God's presence. And so we kind of we share a common challenge when we come together. And if you're newer to this, we share a common challenge to move past these distractions, to forget the crowds and the people that are around us that are trying to forget you too. Like we're all just trying to forget each other when we get to that moment, right? Like you feel God working on you, feeling a little something, right? You know, feeling a little choked up. Come on, guys. You know, you're afraid to show up, but you're feeling something and you're just trying to forget about the people around you, right? And I say, close your eyes and bow your heads. And then I see some of y'all peeking. I see it. I've been a dad for 17 and a half years. I see you people peeking to see who's peeking at them. People peeking are peeking at the peekers to see if the peekers are peeking back at their peeking, and it's just going on. I see it. I know it's, I had to read that to make sure I didn't mess that one up. There's a lot of danger there, but we got through it. But just, you know, I, I'm trying to get you to forget the people who might be peeking at you. And if you can forget that they're peeking at you, maybe you can see Jesus. Maybe. You can get to the point where you can focus on Him and focus on what He's talking to you about and what's going on in your life and, and just get to a place where you can still and quiet our, you know, our, our minds and our hearts to press close enough to do another thing that we say in church all the time, to, to come to Jesus' feet, to sit at the feet of Jesus. And why is that a phrase? And what's that mean? And we're actually going to look at that today in a story. But to forget all of the things to try and crowd into our minds, to forget all of the reasons and excuses and checklists of things that we have to do if we're actually going to like plug into this thing for real, if we're actually going to like start following Jesus for real. And look, even that right there in itself is a big thing for a lot of us. Because when we start coming to church, when we start coming to church regularly, right, we're in church and there's sometimes, honestly, when it's just a little bit uncomfortable 
And we're not sure what kind of commitments we're ready to make. And maybe it's the style of worship again, or maybe it's something that was said during a message. And, and before we can even think about getting close to Jesus, we're thinking about all of the things that we have to take care of in our lives if we do want to come close to Him. And that's when those voices and those thoughts kind of creep into our mind and into our heart, and we're not sure if it's worth going through this, right? I'm not sure about doing that. I'm not sure I want to stop doing that. And then there's this situation. i got to take care of that situation. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've had people tell me, well, pastor, I'm going to start coming to church, but I need to take care of a few things first. Like, it's, it's just, it's all of our stories. It's something that's common to all of us. And I'm not condemning you if you're having those thoughts and those doubts. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's a huge barrier to people just coming close to Jesus. Just forget about all that stuff and just come close to Jesus and see what he won't do. Just come and begin to involve yourself in worship and in singing off key or on key and being joyful and happy and clapping your hands and kind of just allowing yourself to fall into the wonder and the awe of the presence of the living God, grateful for the grace, you know, in, in the living and presence of a risen and, and, and present Jesus. It's, you know, it's hard to simply stay sometimes, just to be here sometimes, just to let go of all of those thoughts and all of those distractions and all of those doubts and, and just let Him control what happens next. It's uncomfortable, but on the other side of it, I'm telling you, and there are people all through this room that would agree with me and tell you with me this morning that on the other side of moving past those distractions is a place and an experience and a closeness with the risen Jesus that is so, so refreshing to your soul. It fills you with such joy. I mean, you're going through stuff in life, and there's no way you should have a smile on your face, and you just have joy because you have learned how to be close to Jesus, and it's filling, and it's fulfilling, and it's freeing, and liberating, and cleansing. And I love the cleansing part. I love being in the presence of God and experiencing the presence of God. And that closeness, that's where we have to get to. That closeness is what's on offer from a, from a risen Jesus. That closeness is what's on offer from the promise of the Holy Spirit, the living and active presence of God. That closeness is where we change over from religion to relationship. That willingness and the learned ability to kind of push past the distractions, that's where you find the voice of the one that you say that you believe in. Jesus is no longer dead. Jesus is no longer a historical figure to you. And Jesus is no longer a ritual or something you have to do to kind of earn brownie points, right? But Jesus then becomes alive, and, and you find out why so many other people say he's alive and he's a help and say they don't know what they do without him, right? And, and that's when church kind of goes to this other level, and that's when you find it easy to worship and find these changed desires. But there's, there's those two struggles. There's the people that struggle, or there's, there's the struggle. There's the people that struggle with it and the people that have learned to kind of move past that. Two different attitudes to it, two different approaches to being close to Jesus. The struggle and the surrender, the struggle and the surrender. And I think so perfectly, you know, just illustrating these two sides of this coin are these two sisters that were close to Jesus during his public career. And one of the sisters' names was Martha, and she had a younger sister named Mary. They were sisters of this man named Lazarus. You've probably heard of Lazarus if you've been around church any length of time. Lazarus was famously raised from the dead by Jesus. But it's interesting to me that these two sisters are in the same family, with the same circumstances, common needs, common challenges, but two completely different approaches to getting close to Jesus, to being close 
to Jesus. And as we're going to see, one time when their two different approaches were kind of brought to Jesus' attention, not surprisingly, Jesus had something to say. So I want to introduce them to you this morning, and I'm going to introduce them to you in the more famous of their stories. It's found in John chapter 11, verse 1 in the New Testament. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. This was their brother. He was from Bethany, a village, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So he's sick. They're friends of Jesus. They're close with Jesus. And so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So in essence, they're praying, right? Like they're getting a word to Jesus about someone who's sick. In a sense, they're both praying for Jesus to show up and heal their brother Lazarus. It's not just Martha praying. It's Martha and Mary. Now, when he hears this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now notice this. When he heard it, like the messengers come, like the messengers are there telling Jesus what's going on. And they've got quill and papyrus ready. They're going to write down whatever Jesus says so they can take the message back to Mary and Martha. They're going to take it back to them. And okay, Jesus, he's sick. And they want you to come, and they want you to heal him. And Jesus essentially says, it's no big deal. Like, I don't know what everybody's worried about. Like, God's going to get some glory. The Son of God's going to get some. This is really all about me. A little bit offensive, isn't it? Like, no, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Jesus is telling him, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, you would think that the verse would go on and say, he hurried to where Lazarus was, right? When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he immediately dropped everything to rush right over. He phoned in a prescription to that pharmacy. I'm Dr. Jesus. Give him, you know, 50 milligrams of penicillin. The boy will be all right. No. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, and because he loved them so very much, he stayed where he was two more days. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? This doesn't sound like the compassionate, kind Jesus with the long flowing hair and the glow and the sheep always on your shoulders. Like, anybody else ever been to a Bible bookstore? <laughs> you know that's what Jesus looks like. Come on. It just doesn't seem like Jesus, you know, the merciful and kind and gentle Jesus. Here he is letting someone that he loves get sicker. And everybody knows that Jesus has the ability to heal. This person is sick. And it's like Jesus is over there checking his watch. You know, like, okay, Lazarus should be a goner right about now. And Lazarus dies. He's so sick that Lazarus actually dies. And there's this kind of humorous exchange where Jesus turns to his disciples, his 12 closest men, he tells them, we're going to go now because Lazarus has fallen asleep. We're going to go and wake him up. And they say, well, no, if he's sleeping... Let him sleep, because that means he'll get better. Don't wake him up. And Jesus has to say, no, guys, oy vey. You know, like, Lazarus just died. We need to go, and we need to help him out. So Jesus and the disciples head to Bethany. Now, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Mary stayed at home. Mary has prayed, and now she's waiting. Mary has called for Jesus, and now she's waiting on Jesus to come do the Jesus thing. She's not trying to harass Jesus into doing the Mary thing. She's content to let Jesus do the Jesus thing. But Martha, mm, Martha's going to go and get some answers. 
Because Martha knows what Jesus could have done. That's why she sent for him in the fir- first place. And so Martha grabs her keys and strides out the door, right? She's got to go and see Jesus. And this, this is not how things should be. And look, we read this next part, this next verse kind of respectfully, because for us, like, this is Jesus. We know who he is, right? we got to make sure that we measure our words. But think, if you only at that time knew him as a healer, and he didn't show up and heal what, were you, what would your first words have been to Jesus? You would have been more than a little bit confused. And if you had a close relationship with him, you know he's healing everybody else. And it's like, well, why weren't you here to heal Lazarus? Jesus, if you had just been on time, you could have healed him. I know the messengers got to you in time. I know that they told you what was going on. You knew how serious it was, and you didn't come. You didn't come when I asked you to come. You could have changed the outcome. You could have taken away the pain. You could have changed the whole story with a word. You didn't even need to make the trip, Jesus. You could have just said something and healed my brother. And Martha knows all of this. So Martha goes to meet Jesus. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Woo! It's on. She is hot, man. This is about as restrained of a phrase as you can find. And she knows it's Jesus. She called him Lord, called him ruler, master, all that kind of stuff. But she knows he could have saved her brother. And she goes on. She says, but I know that even now, even now, even though you messed up, even now that God will give you whatever you ask. Now, if you're familiar with the story, and I kind of saw this looking at it, I'm thinking that she's asking him, well, you know, even now, because I know that Jesus is about to raise Lazarus. Sorry, I'm giving the end of the story away. Jesus is about to raise Lazarus. Maybe Martha's just saying, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. In other words, can you like send up another prayer to get Lazarus, you know, healed and raised back from the dead? But that's not what she's going on, because Jesus tells her, look, your brother's going to rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. In other words, not today. He's dead. And when people die, they usually stay. Yeah, he's dead. I know that someday he's going to get up again in that great going home morning with that party in the sky. Nobody else from the old time Pentecost. Okay, new crowd. We need some new songs. Dustin, get on that one. We'll put a new beat to it, have it ready for next Sunday. Anybody heard of I'll Fly Away? Oh, too many. Can't do that one. So we'll have to find a different one. But Martha had no expectation of anything else being done. She was not asking Jesus to raise her brother from the dead right then. Now, look, this is just me. You can tell me you disagree. You can tell me I'm wrong, and we'll still be friends. I think she was almost talking down to Jesus. You know, if you'd been here, you could have healed my brother. But, uh, you know, Jesus, you kind of missed God's will on this one. Anybody else ever try and help the Lord out? Like, God, if you had just answered that prayer, you know, yes, Lord, surely that didn't go like you planned it, right? A day late and a dollar short, like, whoops, Jesus, you know. But even still, even still, even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Even after you've messed up and missed his will, you know, just chin up, Jesus. Don't worry about it, Jesus. Lazarus will still rise On the last day, just get back out there and and give it another shot. Martha could not imagine. Martha had no concept that Jesus could still be in control of circumstances that were out of her control. See, Martha was always in charge until finally in this situation, Martha wasn't. And Jesus was always a healer until finally in this situation, Jesus 
wasn't. And she knew what Jesus should have done in her mind. But you know, nobody's perfect. So Jesus, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you some encouragement. So even now, don't worry about it. I'm going to scold you a little bit because you were late. You know, now I hope you understand when people call for you, you need to be there. Hello. When people say a prayer, Jesus, you need to kind of show up. People are dependent on you. She never imagined that Jesus could be following God's agenda instead of her agenda. I just preached to somebody right there. There's like two people in here. You need to come to the altar right now. That was the end of your message. She never imagined that Jesus could have been following a God agenda instead of her agenda. She had no sense of awe of the person that she was with, no sense of wonder of who she was standing next to. It wasn't enough that Jesus was there when he decided to show up. She was too worried about everything that Jesus should have done. Now, she goes back and she tells Mary, Jesus is here, finally. Jesus showed up late, and Mary runs to Jesus. And it's amazing to me, the same words spoken by Mary, but a completely, completely different attitude. Mary runs to where Jesus is. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Completely different attitude. Same exact words. Completely different attitude. Humility. Surrender, trust, love for Jesus. Not trying to force Jesus into her idea of what Jesus should do and how Jesus should work. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Recognition of who he is and who she isn't. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the other Jews who had come along with her also weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Look at the difference in the response. Look at the difference in the interaction between the same Jesus and different people. The response and the reaction is different based on our approach to him. Martha comes and gets into a theological debate with God in Abad about the resurrection. Like no comfort. Nothing came out of that. Mary comes to Jesus, same words, and she actually causes Jesus to begin weeping. It's amazing. If you went to Sunday school growing up, you know this next verse, shortest verse in all the Bible, easy brownie points, Jesus wept. Everybody say it with me, Jesus wept. One more time, Jesus, one more time. Everybody just memorized a verse, so you can go home and pat yourself on the back for that. Nobody's impressed. <laughs> Two different approaches to Jesus. Two different attitudes produce two different responses from Jesus. Same prayer request, same circumstance, same Jesus, but two different results. Two different people, two different attitudes, two different approaches can come to the same service, be in the same atmosphere around the same Jesus, and have two completely different experiences with the risen Jesus. Two of us can come into this same room and hear the same song being sung, and you and I can leave here with different degrees of relationship with God, not because one of us is better than the other. No, it has nothing to do with that. All it has to do with is your approach. 
the way you see Jesus, how much you're willing to trust Jesus, how much you're willing to take God out of your box and your ideas and your thinking of how things should be and let God be God because we are most certainly not. Two different experiences. Two different experiences. Well, Jesus goes to the tomb. We know what happens next. He calls Lazarus back to life. Everybody's amazed that Lazarus comes back to life, especially Lazarus. Everybody's amazed that Lazarus comes back to life. And that miracle was so big, so much fame around what Jesus did there. It, it becomes the catalyst, actually, for Jesus' crucifixion arguably the most influential miracle that Jesus did during his time. And, and Martha had the audacity to tell Jesus, lacked the foresight, and so she told Jesus that he had gotten it all wrong. Somebody say, oh, Martha. Somebody say, oh, me. Right? Right? Another time, it's almost as well known, Jesus goes to to Martha's home for a meal, and Luke tells us about this instance. And you can imagine, I mean, Jesus is famous. There's lots of people around. Everybody's close by. Everybody wants to get a look. He's traveling with his entourage. He's kissing babies and giving autographs. It's just all wonderful. And he gets to Martha's house, and I mean, Martha is the only one making sure that everything's ready. And boy, Martha is just in a tizzy, man. I mean, she's rushing all around. She's in the kitchen. She's cleaning the bathroom. She's vacuuming the living room, rinsing off the china, checking the roast in the oven, kind of what's going to be happening in every small group leader's home at some point this week, 30 minutes before y'all show up. Like, this is exactly what's going to be, what's going to be happening. And Martha's busy, man. She's working off a big old checklist, lots of things going through her mind. And right in the middle of it all, Martha realizes, I'm the only one working. Can I hear an amen from any wives in the house? <laughs> I thought that would be louder. I'm going to give you one more chance. Martha is the only one working. Can I hear an amen from any? You didn't even let me finish. <laughs> Martha's just like, what in the world is going on? I live in this house with Lazarus and with Mary, Lazarus and Mary, and, and Mary's not helping. And Luke tells us, you know, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations. Somebody say it with me. That had to be made. They had to be made. These were right things. These were practical things. These were necessary things. She's getting, you know, everything done for Jesus. She's the only one busy. She's the only one rushing around. And she's right. These things need to get done. These things have to be done. And it allows her to frown when she looks at Mary. Just, you know, get that self-righteous look on her face. And Mary, you're sitting down by Jesus' feet, and that's not how you entertain guests, Mary. You are letting the guests entertain you, and that is just wrong. And Martha, she's mad again. She is mad again, and this time it's at Mary. And if you have a brother or sister who's a little bit overbearing, you get this next part. Maybe you have a brother or sister that's a little bit overbearing. Maybe you are the brother or sister that's a little bit overbearing. But when that family member starts going off on someone for all that they're not doing, come on, somebody, we all got somebody like that in our family. When that family member starts telling the other people everything they're doing wrong and how that nobody can do it like them and nobody can handle the business like them, what does everybody else in the family do? Start tuning them out, right? Don't say fight. We're Jesus people. We love, you know, we, we're trying to, to have peace in our homes. But you just tune that person out after a while, right? It's been happening to me and my family for years. People just tune me out, just tune me out. And 
And Martha's had this happen before. And she's, she's going to start nagging Mary, but if she does, then Mary's just going to tune her out. She's going to go to Mary and set Mary straight, but if she does, Mary's just going to ignore her again like she always done. Well, Mary, Martha's smart. She knows how to get around this. She knows exactly what to do. Martha gets things done. And so Martha goes to Jesus and she says to Jesus, Lord, don't you care? You're Jesus. You're supposed to care about everything. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus, this is a little bit your fault. She's sitting there while I do all the work, and you're enabling her. You're letting her get away with it. You're talking with her, laughing with her, enjoying your visit to my house with her, not me. It's kind of your fault that I'm here all by myself. One word from you, and everything could change. I'm doing this for you. I brought you here. I invited you here, Jesus, but it just takes so much work to have you show up. Now look, now think about this, because this is Martha's attitude, but really, this is our attitude sometimes. This is a big deal. Some of us, when we think about coming close to Jesus, when we think about coming to church, when we think about giving our lives to God and following Jesus, all we can focus on is all there is to do if we are going to be close to Jesus. All we can see is all the things that we need to not do anymore if we're going to be close to Jesus. Well, if I start being a Christian, then I have to stop doing this. I have to stop doing that. I can't say this, and I'm supposed to say that. And I've got to make all these changes. I've got to make all these preparations, do all this work, and jump through all these religious hoops. So you know what? I might as well just find a church with fewer hoops. Hello. And what happens to a lot of us is that we start thinking, well, it's just not worth the hassle. It's just not worth the effort. And then we look at other people that are closer to Jesus than us or seem to be closer to Jesus than us. And it's like, how can they have such peace with all that has to be done to bring Jesus into your life? How can they seem so happy? What is there in that experience that I don't understand? What do they get out of being close to Jesus that makes it all worth the hassle? And it's not that people close to Jesus don't know that there's work to be done. Mary knew that there was work to be done. But being close to Jesus was more important than completing all of the items on the checklist. It wasn't that Mary wasn't aware that there was something right now that she needed to take care of because Jesus had showed up on the scene, that she needed to get in order because Jesus was here, but she refused to let what she needed to do come between her and the one that she needed. Mary refused to let what she needed to do come between her and the one that she needed. And so it is for you. And so it's for me. It doesn't matter all of the tasks that are demanding that we pay attention. Things that we get so worried about, so worked up about when it comes to, to coming to church and to following Jesus. Things we're so worried about taking care of that we aren't even thinking sometimes. When we're in church, we're not even thinking about being close to Jesus. And Jesus is here for you. Jesus came to visit with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Hello, he's here for you. He died on a cross for you. He gave his life for you. He gave the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit 
for you. He has forgiveness from guilt and shame and your past for you. When you show up in this place, you have come to meet with Jesus, and Jesus is here for you. He wants to be with you and close to you. He wants to speak to you and have you speak to him. He wants to put his arms around you. He wants to show you the nail prints in his hands to show his proof of his love for you and his grace and his mercy and his kindness. But when Jesus came to visit Martha, Martha was in the kitchen. When Jesus entered the room, I got one big fan for my preaching over here. Thank you. Yes. That's the way we should all be when Jesus shows up. Hello. I think it's funny. Uh, Andrew used to call my dad Jesus. <laughs> he used to ask Josephine, Mom, are we going to church to see Jesus today? That's <laughs> what Jesus looks like. Long flowing hair, sheep on the shoulders. There he is. But Jesus came to visit Martha, and Martha was in the kitchen. Jesus entered the room, and Martha got so focused on a checklist that Martha left the room. And here's the key that you got to take away from today. There's a difference between asking Jesus to come visit and making Jesus feel at home. There's a huge difference between giving Jesus a few minutes of your time on a Sunday and making time to simply come and be close to Jesus. There's a huge difference between showing up to a church service and deciding that you're going to spend the morning in the presence of Jesus. There is a huge difference between saying a prayer because you're pretty sure it's the Christian thing that you're supposed to do and actually setting aside whole chunks of your calendar each and every day simply because you want to be in the presence of Jesus, enjoying the opportunity to audience and to converse and to feel the presence of a risen and living Savior. It's a big difference. And Martha's intentions were good. Martha's intentions were practical. She was being hospitable and friendly and inviting, but she got so busy making preparations for Jesus' visit that she missed out on visiting with Jesus. And all that was needed, all that was needed when Jesus showed up was to be close to Jesus. And it turns out when you get close to Jesus, everything that needs to be, be done will begin to take care of itself. Think about it. She was worried about feeding the one who had just fed 5,000. She was worried about entertaining the source of life and joy himself. She's worried about it. Tells Jesus, can't you tell my sister to help? I'm working all by myself. And Jesus turns to her and he says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. And here's the thing about coming to Jesus and just being still in His presence. See, most of us like being in control of our circumstances. Most of us want to control the environment. Martha wanted to control the experience for Jesus instead of letting Jesus control the experience for her. Martha thought she knew how Jesus should spend His time in her house instead of letting Jesus tell her how he should spend his time in her house. And we want to control the environment. We certainly want to control our response, especially, again, if you're new to a spirit-filled church. This is a big deal. 
people crying and there's people jumping and clapping and waving their arms. And if this has been your church experience for a while now, like if you're like me, we forget sometimes how uncomfortable it is for newer people. But listen, if you're newer to the City Grace family, this is not something to be afraid of. I want to talk to you for a second. Look, if you're newer to the church, number one, the number one thing you need to do is learn to trust the people in your church family. Learn to know the people around you so that they don't scare you anymore when they shout hallelujah. Hello, you need to do that. Now, coincidentally, small groups start this week. See where I'm going? That was like perfect. Thank you, Lord. When that part hit my notes, a light from heaven shone just right there. Sign up for a small group. Get to know people. The second thing you need is dim lights. When that part hit my notes, a light cut off from heaven. It was just perfect. You need to know that there are Kleenex up front. If you start crying, we got you covered. Hello. We're not, <laughs> we're not going to let you be embarrassed. <laughs> I'm 12. And then the fourth thing that I wanted to share with you this morning is that you need to forget everything I just said. This is about being in the presence of Jesus. It's about being in the presence of Jesus. It's not about who's around you. It's not about who's peeking at you. It's not about what somebody else is shouting or saying or waving or clapping or singing. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Come on, all over this room. Can we practice this right now? Come on, all over the room, however you're comfortable doing it. But could you just close your eyes with me right now? Bow your heads and come on, begin to say his name with us. Come on, Jesus. Jesus, we feel your presence. Jesus, we thank you for your closeness. Listen to me this morning. This is a faith thing. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ was not just a historical figure, but was the Son of God? That he was crucified and died, but that he was raised from the dead and lives forevermore? Do you really believe that? It's a faith thing. Do you really believe that he gave his Holy Spirit to the world, that he wants to live with us and in us today through the presence of his indwelling spirit? And listen, when I talk about spirits and ghosts, especially if you're new to a spirit-filled church, that sounds kind of creepy and scary. You don't know what's going on. We're going to start a series on the Holy Spirit in a couple of weeks, and we'll promote it. Make sure you come back for that. We'll talk about it. But again, this comes back to what you believe, his presence the Holy Spirit was a promise. When the writers were thinking of the language they should use to communicate this promise to us, they called it a gift. Nobody's scared of a gift, except for the one that comes from your aunt, right? Like, what kind of sweater is it going to be this time? Like, nobody's scared of a gift. Nobody's scared to unwrap a gift. You should not be afraid of the presence of Jesus. I'm telling you, it's the way that he infuses himself into your life. It's a beautiful and unexpected and supernatural way for God to be close to you each and every morning, each and every afternoon, in every dark time, in every joyful time, in the highs of life and the lows of life, in times when you're buried under guilt, in times when you're living on the mountaintop. God is with us through the Holy Spirit. He lives close to us, and you can have it too. It's for everybody. God is no respecter of persons. You haven't sinned too much. You're not too far from home. God wants to live in relationship with you. There's something so rich 
so beautiful about living every moment of life in tune with the risen Jesus, just conscious and aware of the presence of God. And we get so worried and so upset about so many things that come to our attention when Jesus comes close, that having Jesus close, honestly, it makes us uncomfortable sometimes. But if you can stop your worrying and put aside all of the hesitation and stop all of your overthinking and stop worrying about the checklist that we imagine to be important, all of the things that time and time again have made us, when Jesus comes into the room, make us want to leave the room. But just come to a moment where we choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, to stay at the feet of Jesus. And suddenly you realize that it was never supposed to be about all that you need to do for Him, but it's always been about what He has been wanting to do for you. So Martha, you're so worried and upset about so many things, but Mary, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha was worried about what she was going to give to Jesus. And Mary had decided she would be more worried about what Jesus could give to her. Because once Jesus gives you something, it cannot be taken away. Peace, joy, love, forgiveness. That brokenness and all of the, 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 just the destroyed and shattered identity of your past. And yet he speaks love over you and he speaks value and worth and gives you a new identity and calls you his son and calls you his daughter. And it can never be taken away. When Jesus gives something, it can never be taken away. If the musicians could come this morning. There's something so beautiful, like I said, so rich, living every moment of life in tune and close to Jesus and worship. And Mary knew it. Mary had figured out something that Martha had not. Mary knew that there was something about Jesus that made life different. With Jesus, when Jesus was with her, there was nothing that was impossible. I mean, her brother was raised from the dead. So if I can just get close to Jesus, nothing is impossible. There was no sorrow that was too deep. Her brother, again, was raised from the dead. Not even death is final when Jesus is on the scene. There was no sin that could not be forgiven. Mary had been forgiven much. And Mary just knew this, that when I'm close with Jesus, life just seems like everything will be all right. And it's amazing. One more scene that happened not too long after Jesus raised their brother Lazarus from the dead. Martha and Mary were in the same situation again. And, and John remembered this. And, and he was there and he recorded it all for us. In John chapter 12, he tells us, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And look at this again. Martha served. It's back to serving. Martha serving, in and out, busy, worried, and upset about a lot of things. And Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Every time we're introduced to Lazarus, he's laying down somewhere, laying in a tomb, laying at the... Somebody needs to get Lazarus a kickstand, like, you know, just... Where's Mary? Where's the one who loved to just be close to Jesus? And what happens next is so beautiful. And we don't have any context for this in our culture. For us, it seems a little bit weird, but I'm telling you, in that culture at that time, what happens next is absolutely incredible and absolutely beautiful. But then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, a type of perfume, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And I think sometimes we kind of rush past that, but you need to understand what's going on. This is first century in the middle of the desert. There's no deodorant. 
Nobody's raising their hand because nobody's sure. Like, that's not, there was no secret strong enough for a man made for a woman back then. It stunk, y'all. Hello? Stunk. The smells all around. And yet John chose to pause and to, to, to help us remember what exactly was going on, that when Mary took this expensive perfume and broke it open, she poured it on Jesus' feet and began to wipe his feet with her hair and probably with the head covering that she had there. When, when she did that, that the fragrance of her worship filled the house, filled the house. How beautiful it is when someone who is so grateful for what Jesus has done begins to break open praise and worship and pour it out at the feet of Jesus. And even we this morning, come on, it's happening right now. The atmosphere changes. The air changes. God's Spirit moves into a moment. Suddenly, you're not in church anymore. Suddenly, you're at the feet of Jesus. Come on, I feel Him here. Come on, can you seek after Him this morning? Maybe bow your head. Maybe close your eyes. Maybe lift up a hand this morning. Just feel Him. Just feel Him. Don't say anything. Just feel Him, Jesus. Jesus, to have the atmosphere change, Jesus, by the fragrance of someone's worship. Mary knew that Jesus was going to die. Mary had been close to Jesus. She knew that the resurrection or the raising of her brother from the dead had set off a chain of events. She had been close to Jesus, seeing the pain in his eyes. So she took expensive perfume that was used for burials, so beautiful and so powerful that it would cover up the stink of death and recognizing that Jesus was about to lay down his life, knowing what it would mean, knowing that it was his symbol, his gesture of love and grace and mercy. But more than all of that, Mary knew that there would probably be no more dinners at his feet. Mary knew that there would probably be no more occasions to come close and hear his voice and, and feel his love and to just be with Jesus, to just stay close to Jesus. And so Mary takes the perfume and pours it on his feet, and in the gesture of a servant, she wipes it with her hair and her head covering, showing worship and love and adoration and gratitude. And someone has the audacity to complain, like she should have sold that and given it to the poor. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're not going to have me always. And what she has done is right, because Mary knew that her time with Jesus was limited. And it brought a sense of urgency that caused her to do something that was out of her comfort zone. And that's kind of where I want to end and where I want to land this thing today is to ask you, like, how many more moments with Jesus will you have? How many more moments this week will you have opportunity to come close to Him, to be in His presence? How many more opportunities will you get in this life to come into a place like this and join with other worshipers and, and hear songs that lift your spirit and feel that intangible closeness of the object of your faith the one in whom you believe? How many more times will you feel that unexplainable presence of a risen Jesus and a Holy Spirit, a, a promised closeness of someone who loves you and who doesn't want anything from you but who wants everything for you? How many more times will you hear this invitation? How many more times will you have the opportunity to simply come and be close to Jesus? And this morning you have an opportunity in just a moment to be like Mary to be like Martha, to allow yourself to be distracted. Think of all the reasons why you can't, all the reasons why you shouldn't, all the reasons why you're not going to again this time, or you can just, just come 
Just forget everything. Quit overthinking it. Hello. Quit worrying about who's around and just come and sit at the feet of Jesus. Give Him invitation. Give Him access. Give Him space. Give Him attention. Hello. Choice is yours. Choice is yours. But like Mary, can you choose the better part this morning? For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.